0: to set the Israelites free. And he could have, very well could have. But it just shows the grace that God is showing to the Egyptians that he's allowing this time for repentance, that God didn't have to allow to the Egyptians. The Egyptians were, you know, they were in the wrong, they were doing wrong things. But in this, even the Pharaoh and anyone else had the opportunity to repent but we see ultimately that most do not. Um, there was some of the Egyptians we lead to or led to believe that are going to exit out of Egypt because they, they <laughs> repent and turn to a true God. They get rid of their false gods. But God's ultimate goal in all this is to bring Him glory. And what brings God more glory than taking a hardened heart, a blackened heart, <laughs> and it being washed white as snow? It, it, it's faith being placed in the true God. That doesn't happen just by man's work. It only happens by work of God. Our lesson title this morning is "Out of Egypt." The lesson text is Exodus 12:29 through 42. Our related scriptures is Numbers 3:11 through 13, 40 through 51, Psalms 105, 30, thirty-six through 39, and Romans 8:28 through 32. The place is Egypt, and the time is 1445 B.C. Before we get into our lesson this morning, let's bow our heads for a blessing on God's Word. Most kind, gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to teach your word this morning, Lord. We, we know, Lord, we're not worthy, but we're made worthy, Lord, by your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice you gave for us on Calvary. We pray, Lord, that you give us a filling of your Spirit, Lord, that your Spirit may touch the hearts of those that are here, Lord, that they would draw closer to you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for all our teachers this morning as they teach your word, Lord, that you'd be a blessing on their classes, Lord, that you'd help them do their will, Lord, and let your will be done in our service this morning. We love you and we thank you You praise you for everything, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Our reading starts in Exodus 12:29. It says, And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, and to the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night, and said, Rise up, and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel. And go, serve the Lord as ye have said. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We be all dead men. and the children of israel did according to the word of moses and they borrowed of the egyptians jewels of silver and the jewels of gold and raiment and the lord gave the people to labor and to in the, egyptians, so that they to be in the of it, the, of their life, and, the people people. and the children of israel journeyed from ramses to succoth about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough, which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leaven, because they were tr- thrust out of Egypt, and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. Now, the Israel Israel
1: well in Egypt
0: was years. And it came to pass, at the end of the four hundred and thirty years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt, our golden text this morning is Exodus 12:40 40 through 41 where it says now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt and I'll read our golden text illuminated for us Our Golden Text Illuminator says, This week's Golden Text introduces the third and final unit in this quarter's study. In our previous weeks, we have considered God's call to deliverance and God's preparations for the deliverance of his people. In our final unit, we will consider the accomplished deliverance of God's people and the repeated confrontations with the pharaohs and his pursuing army. God fulfilled his promise to bring a plague of death upon all the Egyptian firstborn sons. At the first Passover, God brought a comprehensive plague of death that caused terrible distress upon Egyptian households. Pharaoh then summoned Moses and Aaron and permitted a comprehensive departure of God's people. The plague of death was so devastating that the Egyptians' population encouraged God's people to leave them alone. Years later, the psalmist commented on the Egyptian response to the Israelite departure, stating, Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. The Hebrew term for glad suggests that the countenance of the Egyptian population brightened with joy and relief as they watched the Israelites leave their country. Over 600,000 adult male Israelites, along with their wives, children, flocks, herds, and livestock departed speedily from the land of Egypt. God's people were also accompanied by a mixed multitude, which probably refers to Egyptians from the lower class of society, and foreign individuals who took advantage of the Israelite exodus to escape the oppressive conditions in Egypt. The golden text declares that at the time of Israel's departure, they had been living in Egypt for a period of 430 years, much of that time under harsh conditions of servitude. Their lengthy and difficult Egyptian sojourn ended 430 years to the day after their arrival in that land. Even more striking, not a single individual was left behind. Let us remember that long, cruel Egyptian bondage of God's people was divinely designed. God had told Abraham that his people would experience a lengthy season of affliction. God also divinely designed Israel's bondage as a preparation for their return to Canaan. In many ways, God's people had flourished in Egypt, and in subsequent times of hardship, many even longed to return to Egypt's seeming security. God had to awaken his people, a sanctified desire to move toward the land of promise. Despite Israel's troublesome memory, memory lapse, God accomplishes by allowing them to experience the cruel and severe Egyptian suffering. God's ultimate predetermined purpose for his children is to conform them into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. God will accomplish this purpose even if he must permit seasons of difficulty and struggle. Do not be discouraged. Deliverance is coming. And that should be a theme that we see throughout the Bible is a theme of deliverance. It's easy to be discouraged in the current state that we are in. We're in a time of, in this life that we live on earth, you have sickness, you have struggle, you have difficulties of every kind you could imagine. People are not typically very nice all the time. um, And that is a a daily life thing that we have to deal with. Um, There is no, no such thing as a perfect world, a perfect job, a perfect anything. Everything has got fault and issues. However, for the church, deliverance is coming. Uh, This is a very temporary thing we're going through here called life. And even if we do not go out in the rapture, death is coming for anyone that uh, that Jesus does not return for. Um, If so happens, be it, the death angel comes, you're going to lead this world through death. One way or another, life is the one thing that is guaranteed to be temporary. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing any doctor, scientist, or anyone else can do to change that. But yet, for the church, eternity is, is our deliverance. That we are going to go into a place in eternity that has none of these problems that we experience here on earth. We'll be delivered from all the issues we face here. There will not be struggle, stress, and everything else that we face in this world. So let's get to our questions this morning. Question one asks Who died in the final plague? At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn Egypt, from Pharaoh in the palace to the, to the prisoner in the dungeon to the animals in the barn. Now, I never, in all the years of studying this, and we probably all have heard it a hundred times at least in our lives, I never did catch that about even the animals being slaughtered. Um, but it's very, that's very much what the Bible bears out. Now, notice this is also takes place at midnight. The most scariest time, for most of us anyways, is nighttime. Something about nighttime that it it, it, is something that could happen in the daytime that would not bother us when it happens at night, it it, it kind of stirs something in us. You hear a noise in the daytime, you brush it off. You hear a noise in the nighttime, you're wide awake, you're wondering what in the world that was. Nighttime just has that effect. But imagine during this nighttime, this sudden, this massive death takes place in Egypt, and we hear crying and wailing throughout the town. Only those with the Passover lamb's blood on their doorposts would be spared. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not at least one dead. How could a loving God kill all those people? God is love, but he is also just. God had been patient with the Egyptians. He had given Pharaoh chance after chance to let the Hebrews go. It was the Pharaoh's choice that brought on God's judgment that caused these calamities on his people. God loves us. He will give us ample opportunity to repent and change our ways. If we choose to continue following our own sinful ways, he will remove his hand of protection, then we will suffer the consequences of our choices. And I think it's so important that we acknowledge that that is the reason things happen the way they do, is our choices. God presents us opportunities to make decisions, and we make decisions every second of every day. From The moment we wake up, the moment we go to bed, we're making decision after decision after decision. But it's up to us what decision we make. Um, When we go into eternity, it is not God who casts people into hell. It's decisions that they make that gets them cast into hell. God provides every opportunity possible for people to be saved time and time again. The gospel is preached time and time again. People hear about Jesus. Time and time again, they're given opportunity to make their lives right with God. And if they choose to disregard all those opportunities and go about and to choose to, just, you know, to, to reject Christ, when they go to hell, they really shouldn't be that surprised or that angry at God. I mean, God didn't, God didn't owe them that opportunity of salvation. God has taken someone who is a criminal that has broken God's law spiritually and has given them a pardon that they don't deserve because he is God and because he is love. Yet, if we choose to reject that pardon, you know, what can we expect to happen? In the same way, when a child of God or a Christian lives in an ungodly way and faces God's chastisement, we really shouldn't be surprised. Uh, We live in a day and age where everyone gets a trophy. Um, Well, that's really not the way it's meant to be in life. Um, And you look in the Bible, the same thing. It tells you, you know, it rains on the just, the unjust. Yes, bad things happen to good people and bad people. However,. It's very clear. If you're a child of God and you are rebelling against God, God will get your attention. He will get you in line one way or another. Um, It's a lot easier to do our best to serve God, to seek God, to be in His Word to make sure we're doing the things we're supposed to do for God instead of having to face the constant chastening rod of God. We read of people in the Bible who perish, who die because of their disobedience. Um, So we really need to have more of a reverence for God than what people do today. There is no reverence. You go back hundred years ago, everyone had a reverence for God. Whether you're a Christian or not, there was some respect there for God. That respect is not even in the Christians a lot anymore. Um, they don't see a need to have a fear of God. But the Bible says that we should be very fear and reverent respectful of God and His and what he asks of his church. I mean, he, we owe him everything. The Bible says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. We owe him ourself because he gave us our life. He gave us the things that we have. And we need to owe all that back to God. We need to have more of a reverence, though, that we do those things. Number two asks, how did the plague demonstrate the powerlessness of the Egyptian gods? And we mentioned this a lot in the last few weeks' lesson that the gods are not just uh, Ra and all these sun gods, earth gods, all these gods that we mentioned, but the Pharaoh himself was a god in the eyes of the Egyptians. Now, here's the thing. if A god should be able to do anything. Now, I know that the true god has no limits. He can do anything he so chooses to do. That, That is, it's up to God. However the gods that the Egyptians worship could couldn't do anything they're false gods they're idols and the pharaoh was just a man like any of the rest of us here are he had aches he had pains he had all the issues and one day he was going to die just like every other man who ever lived but to the Egyptians he was divine he was a deity and because the firstborn of the pharaoh was also going to be a pharaoh he was also a god so here you have these individuals here that's supposed to be able to do anything that could not stop death from coming. Death still came. In the end, God showed the Egyptians that he was the only true God. And it took, sadly, death to get their attention. Um, We see people today who worship so many humans. Maybe they worship government. Maybe they worship uh, spiritual leaders. Maybe they worship uh, whoever. Uh, People give their whole life savings to some guy on TV because of whatever, they're they're just enthroned by him. In reality, these are all false gods, they're all idols. Uh, Whatever you put above God is an idol, is a false god. Um, At the end of the day, there is only one person who is worthy of our worship and that is God of the Hebrews, the God of the Bible. and when we we get outside of that you're just you're going into false religions um, there's no better if, if you're putting if you're worshiping your tv or worshipping some athlete or some politician or whatever else you might as well be worshiping another religion entirely because whatever you spend most of your time on is your thing you're worshiping um, and i think we all can find ourselves guilty of that one point in time in or life or another where we need to step back and repent and make sure our focus is put back upon jesus christ and not upon everything else in this world. There's a lot of distractions that we have today with everything we have access to, TV and everything else. And Those things aren't bad. God gave us those things to enjoy. However, we need to make sure still at the end of the day that God is our number one thing and that nothing is going to overcome God. Nothing is going to give us anything in life except it come from God. (coughs) Number three asks, How did Pharaoh respond to the final plague?
1: People to leave Egypt. There was no attempted negotiation. Now, ironically, Pharaoh, who was presumed to be a god, asked these two Hebrew men to bless him. This proud man was thoroughly humbled for now.
0: So this plague is a very rude awakening to the Pharaoh. I mean, it. it what? I don't know what more could be more of an attention getter than finally, I mean, he loses a child. I mean, that's the most heart-wrenching, heartbreaking thing you could imagine taking place. And the Pharaoh could have prevented it if he was willing to repent. But he simply would not. And because of his actions, because of his, uh, his sin against God, this is the reason these things are happening. Um, because of the Pharaoh's eye-opening experience, they basically, they, because of this death that took place, he is woken by this universal thing about it, He is in the palace, and this cry of grief is going out across the land. Uh, you would hear it from the rooftops, people screaming and wailing because of the death that is taking place. The commentator in our teacher's book says no people in the universe were more remarkable for their mornings than the Egyptians, especially in matters of religion. They whipped, beat, tore themselves, and howled in all the excess of grief. Broken-hearted, the Pharaoh at last realized he was overmatched. The foolishness of his resistance against the Lord was now too painful to deny. That very night, he begged the Israelites to leave Egypt as quickly as possible, taking everything. He even requested Moses and Aaron to bless him. My, oh my, how humbling it had to be for the Pharaoh. Who saw? He thought of himself as being God to ask two servants of God for blessings. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I've read throughout the Bible, God doesn't need our blessings. He doesn't have to have it. Uh, we ask for His blessings, and we can be a blessing to God through our service. But God, He don't have to have us. Um, the fact that He reaches out and forms a relationship, makes us His children, is all by grace, all by mercy. But this Egyptian false idol here, false god, is crying out for God's blessing. Because he realizes now, because of all the evil he's done, without God, he knows that these, these plagues are not going to stop. And the sad part of it all is, we look at all the times, all the plagues we've learned about the last few weeks, if he simply had done this sooner... What could have been prevented? And we know as we read throughout the rest of Exodus here, he really ain't got his eyes up as much as he needs to. Uh, it's a moment there that he, he realizes, but then anger creeps in and he, he begins to go back and rail against God again. But folks, if a lot of times if we're just willing to repent, it can save us a whole lot of suffering and a whole lot of heartache. All the things that God does to get your attention, to try to get you to, to, to come to him in faith, to get you to serve Him, live your life for Him. So much hardship could be prevented if and we start out, we just do what's right. God made being a Christian really simple. He gave us a book that tells us how to do it. He gave us His Spirit to enable us, to help us do it. Uh, he even gave us a reset button. And when we sin, we go to Him and ask forgiveness. He'll forgive us. I mean, He gave us all these things, but as Christians, we don't just use them like we should. If we would use them, we wouldn't have half the hardships we have. We'd, we'd be so much more of a joyful people. Uh, Christians ought to be the happiest people on earth. If we would just do, live within God's means, it's really our issue that we don't we don't do enough of. Number four, how did the Egyptian people respond?
1: The Egyptians were insistent that the Israelites leave immediately. As a result, they left hastily without time to mix leaven into their bread dough and
0: let it rise. So the Egyptians had tasted the full bitterness of the fruit of opposing the true God of Israel. They could not wait for the Hebrews to leave. There is an irony here that now that the Lord had no further plans to afflict them, they were so afraid of what he might do next that they could not get rid of the Hebrews fast enough. Um, You know, we think about these Egyptians... And I think about us today. So many times we're willing to believe what some guy or some girl tells us. All because, well, you know, they're so-and-so and and they're really smart, so we're going to listen to what they have to say. When in reality, if we just listen to what God says. And this is true in so many ways. And I really am glad that I'm older and I kind of missed all this, but I'm fearful for my kids. Because I read in the I read read the commentary. We have a section in a teacher's book called World Missions that I like to read through that applies mission work to the lesson and talks about how in North Korea that the school, public schools were used as a way to filter out Christians, that they would encourage kids to come in and to wrath their parents out. They were Christians, that way the government could come in and seize them. And thank God we don't have that in America today. But folks, you know, if we believe what the Revelation says, and I do, it, it's coming eventually. It's going to be here. Uh, Christians will have to be fearful eventually uh, about worshiping and these sort of things. But, you know, we need to teach our children, teach our people that it doesn't matter what any man says, and I'm including even spiritual leaders in that, it matters what the Word of God says. If anyone, period, any human being goes against the Word of God, you need to not listen to them. That should be the end of it. Uh, There are TV shows that will come on. Again, they'll start saying they may come across as being uh, spiritual in some way, and if they start going against God's Word, turn it off. I've had people give me books to give the kids. If you look at it, it's this Bible story. You open it up and it's not the true... They're, they're this teaching crazy stuff in there. And i got to put the book in the, on a shelf somewhere to where then the kids won't find it. Um, and it's not to be mean or hateful, but this is important. This is not something that's trivial. It's not a story, but it is God's Word. And we have to be certain that people are getting the fullness of the truth and not being led astray by every wind of doctrine, everything they're taught. There's all kinds of crazy doctrines out there today. I've had people tell me that when you face judgment, your good's got to outweigh your bad, or you're not gonna get into heaven. And I just I can't help but kind of laugh at that, because our, our bad is always gonna outweigh our good. There we we can't keep the law of God. And it's not about bad outweighing good, it's about the law, the law of God. We can't fulfill the law of God, we can't keep the law of God. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. And through him, by putting my faith in him, I kept the law because I have Christ's righteousness upon me. It's not about works. It's not about all these crazy things people preach. It's about Jesus Christ. And we get outside away from Jesus Christ. You're no longer got Christianity. You're worshiping yourself. You're worshiping a religion. But it's all about worshiping Jesus. And just like the Egyptians, folks, there's a lot of people being led away with some crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. The commentator made a good comment it said they felt much they feared more and therefore wished to get immediately rid of the people on whose account they found they were smitten with so many and such dreadful plagues. They were in such a rush to be rid of the Hebrews it would not even give them time to leaven their dough. They had already been made to pack up the possessions they could carry on their backs. You know, people do the same thing. They're trying to run from God. They'll avoid Christians. They'll, avoid, they'll stay away from church and say, I ain't going to church. I don't, I don't want to get saved, so I ain't going to church. Or maybe they'll say, Well, I'm living a wicked life, so I ain't gonna go to church. I remember having friends, me I ain't gonna go to that church, church fall down on me if I walk through it. Michael, well, like that's the worst attitude you could ever have. If you're unsaved, if you're living a wicked life, church is the very best place you can be. Because you're not going to change until you hear the word of God. You're not gonna change until you hear the gospel. Uh, mankind's not gonna change you. You can say, Well, I'm gonna quit doing this, this, and this. You may make yourself a little bit better but you're still going to be unsaved. You're not going to have the Spirit of God to direct you until you get born again. And you're not going to get born again until you give your life to Christ. And what better place to hear the Word of God than inside his house? Uh, go ahead, brother. You're
1: talking about getting away from the Word of God. I saw something this week where they refused. I don't agree with the Catholic Church, so don't take wrong here, but they refused to serve him in communion because his fancy took us all and they said that. that their communion is a way to draw people in unity with one another in on the cross. So therefore, they said he's divided.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, another example I saw that we had a good, real good friend, control member. We loved truly. He was a good brother. He fell into gross sin by living with a lady not married. They weren't married. And she later confessed after his death that they were you know, promises in the relationships. So she felt guilty of it too, but I won't go into her part. But the pastor of that church kept serving in the community. And so that pastor was away from the will of God, as will as Joe Biden, by him, by their actions.
0: And that's why, and I said, it goes back, this is what the brother said. You know, we, as as Christians there is a a very big importance and again we should be loving we should welcome people into our building and into our services but we should also make sure that the truth is what we're united upon
1: right
0: and when people get outside the will of god by patting them on the back you're not doing them any good um we think of our think of our kids. If your child was eating nothing but Reese's Cup three meals a day, you said, "Well, you know, at least he's eating. He's a trying. He's going to die." I mean, you you're not helping that young. And the same thing spiritually. We see people in a gross sinful act or outside the will of God, and we say, "Well, you know, we got to make sure we don't we don't want to we don't want to give them the truth. They'll get mad." Well, no. And I'm not saying beat them to death with the Bible, but I'm saying in a loving way. You show them what God's word says and go through the steps God laid out for discipline. And it's and if we do if it's done the right way, people are brought back closer to God. That's a beautiful part of it.
1: I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but a fact is a fact. After death Troy's death, she wanted to talk with me, so Maggie went on to talk to. And she said, Leroy, that's why I'm
0: Uh, number five with what did the Egyptians supply the Israelites how did this come about Moses had instructed them to take advantage of the Egyptians' generosity. The Lord enhanced the esteem of Moses in the eyes of the Egyptians so that they were doubly generous in bestowing parting gifts upon their soon to be ex neighbors. Think of the grace of God in this, folks. God is not only delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians, but He's blessed them double, folks. They're, they're actually getting possessions from their captives. And this is not a, a common. I mean, you you go throughout the history books you don't see this happen too often but God is just that good and we think the same thing for the church not only does God save us but he blesses us as well think of the homes you have the the, the, the cars you drive the jobs you have your health your, your kids your families all blessings God don't have to give us anything God don't owe us anything but the Bible says all good things come from above which means everything good we have in our life God has chosen to give us out of His love, out of His mercy, out of His grace, and we should be—we that should be enough right there that we should daily wake up and praise God and just be thankful for all the things we have. If you got one bean in your cabinet, that's a bean of grace. We should thank God for anything that God has chosen to give us. Number six, asks, What image does Exodus use to describe the Israelites receiving goods from the Egyptians? And the text describes this in a way of spoiling or plundering. And we've got to think about how utterly the Lord had defeated and humbled the most powerful empire on the face of the planet. And we think about uh, the old movies about the Egyptians, these great pyramids and all the awesome things that they, they were able to do and they had and all the, uh, the military and everything they had, the money they had, the gold they had. And here's these Israelite slaves that had nothing. They barely had the clothing on their back. But God is enabling them to overcome the mighty Egyptians. Now, we're, we are all at fault sometimes in our modern day of saying, of looking at these Old Testament stories and thinking, well, God can't do things like that no more. But that's not true. It's the same God. God's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. God can do anything now that he's done then. Which means if God can take a bunch of Hebrew slaves and overcome the and set them free bless them and set them free from the most powerful country in the world what can he do with a band of believers that possesses his spirit i mean my goodness he should be he could turn the whole world upside down with some people that are just faithful and obedient to him the reason churches aren't booming like they once did is not because god has changed it's because we have changed uh, we are not as devout as we should be. We don't pray as often as we should. We don't study as often as we should. We don't visit. We don't love. We don't do all a lot of the things that God has called us to do. We're neglecting. That doesn't mean we're not doing a lot of good things. But that means the more obedient we are, the more we see God moving amongst his people. Folks, it's what it all boils down to is that obedience to God. God can do it. But we have to allow him to use us as a tool. Um, it's like any other tool. I found a shovel underneath the floor of Granny's house yesterday. That shovel was covered in mud and everything else, and I thought, man, it's a good shovel. It's got a good sturdy handle. It looks like it ain't been used in decades, though, because it was way deep back there uh, against the back of the basement. You know, that tool was a good tool, but it ain't served no, no, no purpose for probably since Grandpa put it under there 40 years ago, maybe. Uh, but it's a good tool. However, no work's going to get done with a good tool if I don't take it out and start shoveling a little bit with it. It's the same thing with us. We, we, we can be really good tools. we got all the qualifications we need. The Spirit of God is in us. We study His Word. We do the things. But however, are we allowing God to use us? Are we being obedient when God calls us to visit somebody, call somebody, pray for somebody? Are we doing those things? We can all do more, me included. We can all do a little bit more if we really want to be honest with ourselves. We got a lot of time that's dead time in our lives. There's times that I need to do less setting and I need to do more knocking or more phone calling or whatever. Um, And God gives us time for rest. He do not want us to burn ourselves out, but at the same time, we need to make sure we're being obedient and following God, allowing Him to use us. We all have a purpose. Not one person in here setting that is born again doesn't have a purpose. We all have a mission, all have a calling. We need to find out what that is and get busy with it because if we do those things, the fullness of what God has us, man, God can do some awesome works through us. But we need to be obedient and, and submit ourselves to the will of God. Number seven, who were also included among the people who left Egypt?
1: would have included other enslaved peoples and probably even some Egyptians.
0: Perhaps some were outcasts while others had been attracted to the Israelites' gods because of What a sin it must have been on that day. The Israelite men, along numbered number, about 600,000. This is not counting women, children, or livestock. This mass of cattle and humanity must have numbered more than 1 million, perhaps 3 million, the commentator tells us. Clark rightly sees this as undisputable proof of both the divinely empowered mission of Moses as well as the infallible inspiration of the scriptures. He writes, The single circumstances is an ample demonstration of the divine mission of Moses and of the authenticity and divine inspiration of the Pentateuch. And if we look at what God done here with these massive amount of people, any of you who has ever been a part of any organization, especially in a leadership role, will know it is hard to get people to do anything together. It is. And we're going to see, as you go on through Exodus, you're going to see Moses, he's not just going to be all flowers and roses. There are going to be problems come creep up very, very, very fast. Uh, As soon as they reach that river, and everybody starts wanting to rebel against him and go back to Egypt. Uh, However, the fact that God has taken this mixed group of people and they are marching forward out of Egypt with a common cause is a perfect type and picture of of what the intention is of the church. That we are a group of people from all kinds of different backgrounds. We have all kinds of different sin issues. We're men, women, child, different races from different areas, and yet we are all marching together with one common purpose to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to glorify God in all that we do. It doesn't matter that we have differences. It don't matter that we're of different ages. Um, I'm, I'm one of the youngest people in here. However, we all serve a common God. We all got the same book that we go by. We all have the same spirit of God dwelling in us. And because of that, we, all, we should be a tight, fit-together body and a tight army that serves together in everything that we do. And if the church works together like that, like again, I say how God can bless, what God can do with a, with a group of obedient people just serving, serving together. That's why any time when someone's working on and this ain't part of the lesson, but I'm going to throw it out there because it just hit my brain. Um, you know, any time someone's working from God, Listen, don't criticize. Uh, that's, the, that's the number one thing I see knock young people down, kids and teenagers or whatever. They'll be serving God, and as, you know, maybe if they need a little bit of direction, offer it. But don't say, well, I don't know why they done it that way. That's just silly. That don't make a bit of sense. You see that happen a lot of times to kids and stuff and to teenagers, and it's sad when it does because what do they do? They just quit. may they're singing in church, playing music, whatever, and all of a sudden, I just don't like that kind of music they sing. They're done. They need to be encouraged. They need to be lifted up. They need to pray for them. Put them, put them on your prayer list. Go to God on their behalf because they, they got, they're in a battle and they need that encouragement all the time. And not just for children, but adults and everyone along the way. People serving God, folks, pray for them. Pray for whatever their ministry is. And 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 it, it maybe it maybe they're they're going out and they're doing carpenter work on the church. Pray for them. Pray for God to enable them to give them the health, the ability, and everything else. That's all ministry. No matter how you want to look at it, it's all ministry. We need to pray for each other. These things are done and not be so critical sometimes but more uplifting of each other. Number eight, how long had the Israelites lived in Egypt before their exodus? Israelites were in Egypt
1: for over 4 years. At the end of this period, they went out
0: from the land of Egypt. And during all this, a lot of people probably said, well, you know, God ain't doing what he said he's going to do. And they start questioning God, doubting God. What do we see today? Same thing. And Peter said it was going to happen. He said time will come. where They say well, Christ is not going to return. Where is he at? And this and that. But it doesn't change God's promise. God promises that Jesus is coming back for his church and that all these things are going to come to, to, to be fulfilled. That means it's going to happen. We can bank on it. We can trust in it. We can't trust on anything else in this world. People will lie to you about everything coming and going. Maybe even by accident lie to you. But God does not lie. He has never lied. And Christ is coming back. Now the fact that Christ is coming back should encourage us to work, should encourage us to be found uh, fitful of God, and should also uh, encourage us to reach out to others, to reach Him before Christ comes back, that they may be saved, and that they may go to heaven with us someday. Uh, number nine. What does the host of the Lord mean in Exodus twelve forty one? It's like that song we, we sing sometimes, Onward Christian Soldier. Who is our general? Our general is Jesus Christ. He's the one that leads us. There ain't no man that leads us. He's the it's God that leads us. And he leads us as an army that is fighting a spiritual battle <coughs> against the things of this world that are rebelling against us. Uh, we're fighting a dark spiritual battle that is trying to snare people in. But we need to bring them over to our side. And Jesus Christ can do that if we're just willing to be obedient. Number 10, how was the Israel, Israel's deliverance to be remembered? Why was it so important for them to remember it? Do we have I know I was going to get my trouble when I didn't bring my teacher's book, my student book up here with me. I'll go over it for you then. How about that? When we talk about observing the Passover and then the remembrance of what God called them to do. It is a large celebration that Jewish people keep because it is in remembrance of what God did. That these people that God set aside are to be a peculiar people. The church is to be a peculiar people. And while we don't celebrate Passover quite like the Jews do, we study Passover and we partake of different religious observances because it is in remembrance of what God did for us when Jesus Christ died at Calvary. The reason we do communion is remembrance of Jesus Christ. The reason we do baptism, it shows that we were lowered in death and we were risen in life. It is an observance and remembrance of Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice that he made. When you talk about the blood of the doorpost, it is not just in re- talking about that land that they slaughtered there in Egypt. It is we are thinking about as the church about the blood of Christ that is applied to our hearts when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Uh, it is a remembrance always putting back to Christ. Everything we do as a church should always point to Jesus Christ. Uh, When we start celebrating anything that doesn't involve Christ, we're getting ourselves in a little bit of a sketchy situation. It should always be Christ that we are celebrating in our worship and and whatever it is. And even when when we do our birthdays, you say, well, how are you celebrating Jesus? Well, we are celebrating the fact that the Lord blesses these people with another day of life. How do we close out that song? God bless you. It still points it back to God. And that's how everything we do when we celebrate worship should be pointing back to God. Uh, we thank you all for coming out and being with us this morning. One more announcement I forgot to bring out. Uh, next Sunday evening at 7, um, Bluegrass Gospel at Heart is going to be here singing. I'll be preaching, so also uh, be much in prayer for that as well coming up. Thank you all.